All right, now last week, <laughs> whew, we're, we're out of Ehud and we're out of Jael, okay? So, whew, all right, we, we don't have an R-rated sermon this morning, so that's a good thing. But last week, we looked at an upside-down text, right? It's like everything was just turned upside down. It was unexpected. It was not what we thought, right? That weakness is strength and strength is weakness. And see, the theme of weakness is actually going to be driven home more and more and more, especially with the next judge that we're going to look at in chapters 6, 7, and 8 by the name of Gideon. And it is a great story, but here's how I want to introduce it. In 1945, the world's first operational atomic bomb was delivered by the USS Indianapolis to the island of Tinian on July 26th. After delivering the bomb, the Indianapolis reported to Guam for further orders, and she was directed to join the battleship USS Idaho at Leet Gulf in the Philippines to prepare for the invasion of Japan. Well, the Indianapolis departed Guam unescorted on the eve of July 26, and at 14 minutes past midnight on July 30th. Midway between Guam and the Leet Gulf, the Indianapolis was hit by two torpedoes fired by a Japanese submarine. The first torpedo, it blew away the bow of the ship, while the second, it struck near midship, which is on the starboard side, which was adjacent to a fuel tank, which means it caused a bigger explosion. The resultant explosion, it split the ship in two, knocking out all electrical power so that the men of the Indianapolis went into the water unsure of whether their call for help got through or not. It took 12 minutes for the ship to completely sink. Of the 1,196 aboard, it is believed that at least 300 were killed instantly by the blast from the torpedoes, which means about 900 of the men made it into the water. Few life rafts were released, leaving most of the men floating in the water with only their standard uh, life jackets, issued life jackets, or nothing but the clothes that they were wearing at the time. Shark attacks began with the sunrise on the first day in the open sea, and I'm not going to go into all the grisly details of what these men went through for the next five days. It's estimated that after the first day, 200 men either drowned or were eaten by sharks. On the third day, half of the 900 men who went into the water were dead which means that men were dying in those three days at a rate of one every 10 minutes. After surviving five days and nights of constant shark attacks, starvation, dehydration, mental illness from drinking the ocean water, and the constant burning exposure to the sun, of the 900 who went into the water, only 317 were rescued alive. In his book, In Harm's Way, Doug Stanton recalls the worst naval disaster at sea in U.S. history. And one of the survivors of the USS Indianapolis was a private by the name of Giles McCoy. And this is what he had to say about his experience. He said, the worst part was giving up my life, accepting that I was going to die. It wasn't sharks and it wasn't seeing your buddies die. It was when you realize that you are going to die. We are all young and healthy men. All of a sudden, there's no chance. We can't make it. They have forgotten us. We can't last out here forever. We felt forsaken, and we knew that we were all going to die, end quote. 
I wonder how many Christians feel like Giles McCoy. I wonder how many Christians in the deep recesses of their heart feel forgotten and forsaken by God. See, in the book of Judges, there are two recurrent themes that come up throughout the whole book and dominate it. Fear and unbelief. And the reason why these two themes keep coming up in the book of Judges is because Israel keeps falling deeper and deeper into more and more sin. And then I want you to notice something. As we've been looking at each story, the deeper Israel falls into sin, have you noticed that their oppression gets worse and worse as well? And we'll see that in a moment. But in the first six chapters of Judges so far, there's this cycle, okay? And it's repeated with every story that we've seen. First of all, Israel forsakes God by worshiping idols. And when they start worshiping idols, they become enslaved to their enemies. And while they are enslaved to their enemies, it causes them to cry out to God for deliverance. And then God sends a deliverer who delivers them. But then that deliverer dies. And when he dies, Israel goes right back to forsaking God and worshiping idols. And the cycle repeats over and over and over and over again. Which <laughs> tells us something, doesn't it, about the human heart? Israel's repeated cycle. It tells us what the great hymn says. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Because we continue to sin and turn away from God, what happens? We not only fear what God will do, but we forget what he's already done. So we fear that God's either going to forsake us because of our sin or we fear that God has forgotten us when we continue to struggle with sin. And what's interesting, it's not in the good days when this happens, is it? It's on the bad days. It's on the days when your heart seems cold and distant from God. And because of that, you think that God is distancing himself from you. On the days when just trusting in Jesus doesn't seem to be enough because bad things still happen. You still experience disappointment. You still experience pain and suffering. The days when nothing seems to go right. <laughs> and we fear that our prayers, they never reach above the ceiling, so why in the world pray anyway? Or the days when we wonder whether God is going to continue to forgive the sin that we want to do. And then we wonder... Will he continue to forgive it? Or is he going to forsake me because I have turned away and forsaken him? And then you reach a point where you don't care anymore, so you just do it because it doesn't matter. Here's what I want to propose to us this morning. The thing that we struggle with is not so much with God forgiving our past sins. No, what we struggle with is our struggle presently in the way we continue to sin. What do we wonder? Is God really that gracious? 
will God clean this mess up again? When God views me, does he look upon me with compassion or with anger? How can he even look upon me? And then we wonder, why does he not look away from me? See, if fear and unbelief weren't such a struggle for people, then why is it the major theme of Judges? Why is it the major theme of the whole Bible? Do you realize the most commanded phrase in all the Bible is not to love one another? (laughs) It's do not fear. If that's the most commanded phrase in the Bible, then that means that's the greatest thing we struggle with. We struggle with fear. So what do we learn from these recurring themes of fear and unbelief? I think two things. First, that our faith in God is very fragile. And what I mean by that is not that our faith can so easily be shattered. No, what I mean by it being fragile is that it needs to be nurtured. It needs to be protected in order for it to flourish. And then the second thing it shows us is that we constantly need a word of assurance from God. We constantly need God's word to assure us in order to fortify and strengthen our faith. And these two things are exactly what Judges 6 is all about. And, yeah, you're going to remain seated because I was planning on reading the whole chapter, but, man, it is way too long. So what I want to do is just read snippets of it to give you the basis of it. Start in verse 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because the Midianites, the people of Israel, catch this, they made for themselves dens that are in the mountains and in the caves and the strongholds. They were so powerful, they had to leave their homes when they invaded. And they hid out in caves that they made in the mountains. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people from the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no substance in Israel, no sheep, no ox, no donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. And he catch the way the picture, the, the picture he wants us to see. They would come like locusts, devouring everything in their path. In verse 6, and Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet and the people of Israel, and he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt. I brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you, and I drove them out before you, and I gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah which belonged to Joash, the Abizurite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. 
<laughs> and you're like, is he joking? <laughs> is he making fun of him? And Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us, and he's given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord, okay, anytime you see L-O-R-D capitalized, it's the Hebrew word Yahweh, okay? And Yahweh turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor, favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it's you who speaks with me. Please do not depart here until I come to you and bring my present and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will stay until you return. So Gideon went into his house. He prepared a young goat and the unleavened cakes and an ephah of flour. And the meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot. And he brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them to him. And the angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat, the unleavened cakes, put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. And then the angel of the Lord reached out with the tip of his staff that was in his hand. He touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. And then notice, after this happens, Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. And then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord, and he called it, The Lord is Peace. Now, then he, what he does in chapter next, in verses 25 and following, he commands him to go and wipe out the idols in his father's house. So he does, but he does it at night because he doesn't want anybody to know it was him. And then you have this scene, we all know, it's very familiar, right? After he destroys it, the people come out, they're angry with him. And then the famous fleece incident, right? <laughs> Where he's testing the Lord to know, all right, God, you told me that you're going to deliver Midian into my hand, and now we've amassed this mar army, they've amassed their army, but I still got to know whether it's really going to come true or not, whether you're really going to do what you said you were going to do. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to put this fleece which soaks moisture, right? Says, all right, I'm going to lay this fleece, and here's what I want to happen. <laughs> I want there to be dew all around the fleece, but not on the fleece. So he does it. Next morning, he walks out. There's dew all around it, no dew on the fleece. Oh, all right. But hold on, God. Let me do one more, one more. Now I want all the ground around the fleece to be dry, but all the dew on the fleece. And he does it. And that's what happens. And that's how the chapter ends. So this is the word of the Lord. All right. Now I pray, so we're going to jump in. What's, here's the question. What do you do with your doubts and fears when you keep falling into sin? 
See, this chapter is highlighting Gideon's fears. <laughs> but it's also highlighting how God seeks to calm those fears. See, chapter 6, it doesn't just highlight Gideon's many fears. It's actually going to zoom in and it's going to show us the root fear that Gideon has, which drives all of his other fears. See, what did Gideon struggle with more than anything else in our text? Was it a fear of the Midianites? Yes. He was afraid of the Midianites, and with good reason, right? In verses 2 through 5, they would come every year. For seven years in a row, they would come, and they would take all of Israel's crops, all of the things that they have grown, all of their food, all of their animals, leaving them starving to death. And what's it, you know, as I said, they, the writer portrays them as human locusts, devouring everything, which means the oppression that Midian is giving is worse than any of the oppression that Israel has experienced before. So is Gideon's biggest fear the Midianites? Well, look at verse 15. <laughs> Did Gideon struggle in fear, wondering how in the world can I deliver Israel when my, my tribe's the smallest in Israel and I'm the least in my family? Yes, he was afraid that he wouldn't be able to deliver Israel. Why? Because he's an insignificant nobody. But was that his biggest fear? Now look at verses 25 to 27. God commands Gideon to destroy the idols in his father's house and to build an altar to the Lord there. Was he afraid of what his parents and what his tribe would do to him if he did? Yes, he was afraid of that. That's why he does it at night. And then the fleece incident. Not really knowing, okay, I just want to make sure, God. I just, you said you are going to do this, but I still don't know, so now I want to test you. See, what is going on in chapter 6? It's highlighting Gideon's fragile faith. Gideon's faith is so fragile because he's full of fear. But what is the root fear that drives all the other fears? What is he most afraid of? I believe the answer is found in this phrase that's repeated three times in verse 12, verse 14, and verse 16. And what is it? The Lord is with you. See, Gideon's greatest fear, the fear that drives all the other fears, is he feels forgotten and forsaken by God. That's why in verse 13, what does he say? If the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Where is the Lord in all of his wonderful deeds that our forefathers kept telling us about? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now he's what? Forsaken us. Isn't Gideon's deepest fear the fear that we all face when we are confronted with our sin? Isn't the thing that we fear most being separated from God and to suffer the consequences of what our sin deserves? So this is why in verse 22, when Gideon realized that he was in God's presence, what happened? He was even more terrified. Why? Because he knew he deserved to die. Gideon's fear is a legitimate fear, isn't it? 
He does deserve to be consumed by God's holiness and separated from him just like the meat and the offering was consumed by the angel. So, we're no different than Gideon. Because inherent in all of us is the same fear, isn't it? See, Christian and non-Christian, it doesn't matter. (laughs) We all do this. We're all afraid of being forgotten, forsaken by God. We are all afraid of being rejected and abandoned by God. So, the question is, if this is true of all of us, then what do you do with your fear? You cover it up? Try to numb it with temporary pleasures? Do you avoid it somehow, (laughs) thinking that, oh, if I ignore it and avoid it, then ah, it'll go away? Or do you busy yourself, either with spiritual activities or any activities, just so that you don't have to think about it? Or do you turn inward and resolve, I'm going, to do, I'm going to do better, I'm going to try harder, and then you make all these promises to God that you can never keep? What do you do with your fear? So this is why I've entitled the sermon, Fragile Faith, because of how easily our sin can cause us to be full of fear. And when our faith is fragile, <laughs> and when we fear that the Lord will forsake and forget us, what do we most need to hear an assuring word from God. See, look at verse 6. Told you the pattern so far in Judges is that when Israel cries out to God, God immediately sends them a what? A deliverer who delivers them. But the pattern breaks here. (laughs) In verses 7 through 10, God does not immediately send a deliverer. He sends a prophet. Israel needs deliverance? And God sends a prophet? I love how one commentator says, he's like, okay, Israel asks for an act of God's power, and God sends them a proclaimer of his word. That seems odd, doesn't it? But what is this prophet proclaiming? He is proclaiming and reminding them of God's gracious character in delivering them from Egypt. He's reminding them and proclaiming the gracious character of God who has delivered them ever since from everyone who has oppressed them. Why is he reminding them of these things? Because Israel's continual fall into sin, it has caused them to become full of fear. And in their fear, they have forgotten who God is, and they have forgotten what God has done. See, Israel needed an assuring word from God. They needed to be reminded again of his gracious character. They needed to see their sin. Why? So that they can understand how great God's grace is. And so do we, don't we? See, in verse 10, God sends a prophet. Why? Because Israel needs more than immediate relief. They need to understand why they're oppressed. They need to see that they're oppressed because 
They've turned away from God and are now worshiping and serving idols. See, God's word brings clarity to Israel's oppression, doesn't it? In verse 1, he just clearly says, and God handed them over to Midian. And verse 10 reveals why. Because they have not obeyed my voice. See, some of you, when you're in a bad situation, you want to escape from it. But God may want you to interpret your situation and your circumstances so that you see why you're experiencing it. So we may want to get out of a bind, but God wants us to see our idolatry so that we would understand why we're being oppressed. So we would turn away from it and return back to God. But the question is, how in the world is exposing Israel's sin? How does that bring assurance? <laughs> well, what do we expect at the end of verse 10? Think about this. When God exposes Israel's sin with the charge, but you have not obeyed my voice, what do we expect to come next? <laughs> because you have not obeyed my voice, therefore, I'm going to what? Punish you. I'm going to condemn you. I'm going to abandon you i'm going to forget and forsake you that's what we expect <laughs> uh but that's not what happens <laughs> right because then we have immediately verse 11 so what's going on what is our passage revealing about god one commentator said it this way I almost, I was going to plagiarize it and act like, you know, I, I said this and I came up with this clever phrase, but it's not. He says, when he ought to destroy, he delivers. When he ought to shatter, he saves. See, instead of judgment coming after verse 10, what do we see happening? God is preparing Gideon to deliver Israel. So do you see why Christians constantly need to hear a word from God that reminds us of who he is, that reminds us of what he has done? We constantly need to be reminded of the gospel. Why? Because our faith is fragile. And our faith is fragile not because God forgets and forsakes us, but because we continue to forget and forsake him. And every time we forget and forsake God by turning away from him, what happens? We fear what he's going to do to us. So we're just like Israel. And we're just like Gideon. When our sin is exposed, we fear that God is no longer with us. That he's forsaken us. That he's rejected us. So what is our greatest need at that moment? To hear a word, an assuring word from God that actually strengthens our fragile faith. See, look at verse 17. Gideon's faith is so fragile. He asked for a sign from God to prove whether God's favor is upon him or not. See, the word for favor here is the word grace. Gideon needs to know and be assured that God's grace, that God's favor is upon him. So how does God prove to Gideon that his favor and that his grace is upon him? 
Well, in verses 21 through 23, I think we get two answers. First, God proves his favor rests upon Gideon with his presence. (laughs) The fact that God's even speaking to him is evidence that he is with him. But Gideon doesn't really know if it's actually God that's speaking to him or not. So he tests him. He wants to know if it's really God. So he brings, he said, wait, wait right here. I'll be right back. Let me go get something and I'm going to present it to you. And what, is, what happens? Immediately, it's consumed. And what does this cause? <laughs> it causes Gideon to realize, holy cow, this is God. And then he gets even more terrified, which leads to the second thing. God proves his favor upon Gideon by proclaiming his word of peace to Gideon. Look at verse 23. The Hebrew word for peace here is shalom, right? But it has a double meaning. Shalom expresses the state of mind or the internal condition of being at ease, right? I got a peaceful, easy feeling, right? But it's the reason why someone can be at ease is the second meaning of shalom, which means the end of war, the end of strife, the end of conflict. Which means peace is the condition that we experience knowing the conflict is over, knowing the war has ended. There is no more strife. Which means there's no more need to fear. Isn't this exactly what we need to be reminded of when our faith is fragile and we are full of fear? Don't we need to know that God's presence is with us? And when his presence is with us, it means that we are already in a condition and a state of peace with God. Which means that the strife with God is over. Our war with God has ended. So we, just like Gideon, need to hear God's word of peace to calm our fears. So how does Gideon know that God is shalom? How does Gideon know that God favors him? Answer, the offering was consumed, not Gideon. Don't miss this. Who was the one mediating God's word and presence to Gideon here? (laughs) The angel of the Lord. The same angel who mediated God's presence to Moses with the burning bush. (laughs) when Moses was approaching, what did the angel of the Lord say to him from the burning bush? Take off your sandals. Why? Because you're standing on holy ground. The same angel that was on the wall of Jericho that spoke to Joshua. (laughs) And when Joshua saw the angel... He was scared to death, and he falls down. And what did the angel say to him? Remove your sandals. Why? Because you're standing on holy ground. You know who the angel of the Lord is? 
is the pre-incarnate Christ. Who mediates the word of God. Right? He mediates the word of God. But he doesn't just mediate the word of God through words. <laughs> but by becoming flesh. Why? To be with us. But not just to be with us. But to go to the cross and die for us because of our sins. See, <laughs> what does Gideon call the angel? Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Yahweh. When your faith is fragile, when your sin causes you to be full of fear, only, catch this, only the word about Jesus hanging on a cross can speak peace to your troubled soul. Why? Because Christ is God's assuring word of peace to us. How do we know that? Because Jesus was consumed. Jesus was forgotten and forsaken. So we would not be. So that we could always have God's presence with us. So brothers and sisters and friends, how do you know, how do you know that God's favor and peace is upon you because Jesus took your place. Jesus is your peace. Jesus is your shalom. Amen.